Welcome to episode four of Everybody ESL, the podcast for everybody who wants to improve their English, practice their English, or just learn more English. My name is Ben, and I have some good stuff for you today. We've got some vocabulary about cats, a listening quiz, a quick grammar topic, the joke of the week, and more. While you're listening and following along, if you have any questions or suggestions for me, please send them to everybodyesl at gmail.com. And now you can find the podcast on Stitcher. Download the Stitcher app and subscribe to Everybody ESL, and you'll never miss another episode. For this episode's vocabulary, I chose the theme of cats. There are a lot of good cat and other animal words, so let's get started. The first word is feline, F-E-L-I-N-E, feline. Feline is an adjective that means like a cat, resembling a cat or having to do with cats. You can describe animals as feline, you can also describe people as feline if they in some way look like a cat or move like a cat or behave like a cat. There are similar words for all kinds of other animals, similar to feline. There are words that mean like a horse or like a cow or like a dog. And if you're interested, let me know and we'll talk about those in a future episode. The next word is kitten. K-I-T-T-E-N. Kitten. A kitten is a baby cat. What I think is interesting about kitten is the way it's pronounced. It is not pronounced the way it looks, at least not in American English. In American English, there are many words that have this pattern. The word looks like it is pronounced kitten, but Americans almost never pronounce words that way. If you want to sound like an American, or if you want to have an American English accent, you need to pronounce it kitten. The first syllable is kit, and the second syllable is a little strange. It's just n, n. It's really just an n sound with no vowel in there. Kitten, kitten. Look at the little kitten playing in the hallway. Our next word is stripe. S-T-R-I-P-E. A stripe is a band or long area of color. There could be a stripe in a cat's fur. There could be a stripe on your shirt. Usually, when talking about cats, you'll hear the adjective striped, meaning having stripes, or covered by stripes, or decorated with stripes. So you will often see a striped cat. The next word is pet. P-E-T. Pet. A pet can be a noun, like when you talk about your pet cat, 
In other words, a, an animal who you take care of and who is special to you. That's what we mean by pet. But pet can also be a verb, meaning to stroke or touch gently and affectionately. So we often pet our pets. The next word is adopt. A-D-O-P-T. To adopt something is to take it in and make it part of your life or part of your family. So if you go to the animal shelter, you might wind up adopting a cat or a dog. You might take the cat home and make it a part of your family. The next word is feral. F-E-R-A-L. Feral means wild. And it's usually with reference to cats where we use the word feral. A feral cat is a, a house cat that is wild, or a cat that has never lived with people, has never been part of a family, has never had a home. That's a feral cat, a wild cat. The next word is litter, L-I-T-T-E-R. Litter has many meanings, and two of them have to do with cats. A group of kittens all born together is called a litter. We don't use that word only for cats, but a group of kittens born all together is a litter. And litter can also mean the stuff that you put in a cat's litter box where it goes to the bathroom that's filled with litter. And our last cat word is whisker. W-H-I-S-K-E-R, whisker. A whisker is a long, stiff hair coming out of a cat's face, or many other animals also have whiskers. We also use whisker to mean the stiff hair coming out of a man's face, out of a man's beard or mustache. Those are also called whiskers. Well, there's eight good cat words for you to start using today. For this episode's small talk lesson, I thought I would tell you something about how to ask for things in a grocery store. You've probably been in this situation before where you're at the grocery store, you can't find the salsa or the flour, and you want to ask somebody for help, but maybe you're not quite sure how to do it. Well, it's very easy. All you need to do in any grocery store is find someone who works there. You can tell by how they're dressed. They'll usually be wearing a, a vest with a name tag or maybe an apron. And you just say, excuse me, can you tell me where to find the salsa or whatever you're looking for? Excuse me, can you tell me where to find the salsa? Now you could also say, excuse me, do you know where the salsa is? Excuse me, do you know where you keep the salsa? That's kind of a strange way to ask it. I often ask it like that, but it's perfectly acceptable. Excuse me, do you know where you keep the salsa? 
you can always make a question like this even more polite by using words like would or could. So if you say, excuse me, could you tell me where to find the salsa? That's a little bit more polite than, excuse me, can you tell me where to find the salsa? Now, it's perfectly fine to say, can you tell me? But if you say, could you tell me, it's even more polite. And if you say, excuse me, would you be able to tell me where to find the salsa? Would you be able to tell me? That's even more polite. That's just the way it works in English. Those words could and would are often used to make questions or requests even more polite. So you can say, excuse me, can you tell me where to find the salsa? Or, excuse me, do you know where I can find the salsa? Or, excuse me, would you be able to tell me where you keep the salsa? All of these are perfectly acceptable ways of asking. And don't feel bad about asking either, or embarrassed or uncomfortable. People who work in grocery stores get asked questions like this all day long. It's part of their job to answer questions like that. And as long as you ask politely, there's no problem at all. And now it's time for the joke of the week. A joke that's probably not very funny, but might be useful when it comes to studying and learning about English. This week's joke, how do you brush a crocodile's teeth? How do you brush a crocodile's teeth? Well, first of all, do you know what a crocodile is? A big reptile with big long jaws and many teeth. Very dangerous. How do you brush a crocodile's teeth? You have any ideas? Well, the answer is, how do you brush a crocodile's teeth? Very carefully. Now, why is that a joke? What's funny about that? Or what's supposed to be funny about it? Well, the humor, if there is any humor, the humor comes from that word, how. How do you brush a crocodile's teeth? How can mean more than one thing. One meaning is by what method, or using what technique, or with what process, or procedure. Those are all kind of ways of saying the same thing. So how do you brush a crocodile's teeth seems to be asking, what would you do to brush a crocodile's teeth? Is there some system you should use? Should you get a big, long toothbrush? Should you get up close to the crocodile and put the toothbrush in, starting at the front or starting at the back? What's the best way to do it? But the answer, the punchline, that's what you call the answer to a joke, a punchline, the punchline uses a different meaning of how, meaning in what manner. So how do you brush a crocodile's teeth? Very carefully. You should be very careful when you do it. That's how you should go about it, very carefully. How do you brush a crocodile's teeth? Very carefully. Well, that's the joke of the week. Might not be funny, but maybe gives us something interesting to think about with English.
And now it's time for this episode's listening quiz. I'm going to read a short story at two speeds. First, I'm going to read it at a normal conversational speed, the same way I would if I was reading the story to a friend of mine. The second time, I'll read it a little bit more slowly, and it might be easier to follow along. And then when we're done, I will ask a number of questions, and you can see how much you were able to understand and remember from the story. All right, are you ready? First, we'll do it at the faster speed. Tom can still remember his high school chemistry teacher. He can still picture her face in his mind, and he can still remember how it felt to sit in her classroom. For Tom, chemistry was the hardest subject, and it was all because of Ms. Johnston. Ms. Johnston was mean. She never gave her students a break. One time, Tom forgot his textbook at home, and Ms. Johnston wouldn't let Tom borrow a book to use during the class. Tom's best friend, Brian, offered to share his book with Tom, but Ms. Johnston said no. The worst time was when Tom spilled some water during an experiment. He didn't spill very much, but Ms. Johnston yelled at Tom as though he had broken something expensive and then she made him use his sweater to mop up the water on the floor. It's been 25 years since Tom was in Ms. Johnston's class, but he'll never forget the experience. Okay, how was that? Was that a good speed? Was it too fast? Let's try it again, a little bit more slowly this time. Tom can still remember his high school chemistry teacher. He can still picture her face in his mind, and he can still remember how it felt to sit in her classroom. For Tom, chemistry was the hardest subject, and it was all because of Ms. Johnston. Ms. Johnston was mean. She never gave her students a break. One time, Tom forgot his textbook at home, and Ms. Johnston wouldn't let Tom borrow a book to use during the class. Tom's best friend, Brian, offered to share his book with Tom, but Ms. Johnston said no. The worst time was when Tom spilled some water during an experiment. He didn't spill very much, but Miss Johnston yelled at Tom as though he had broken something expensive, and then she made him use his sweater to mop up the water on the floor. It's been 25 years since Tom was in Miss Johnston's class, but he'll never forget the experience. Okay, was that speed a little bit better? Was it a little bit easier to follow? Well, let's get to the questions. Question number one. What subject did this high school teacher teach? Question two. Who was Tom's best friend? Question three. What did Tom spill? Question four. How did the teacher make Tom clean up the mess? Question five. How long ago did Tom take this class? And now let's hear the answers. Number one, what subject did this high school teacher teach? It was chemistry. She was his chemistry teacher. And number two, who was Tom's best friend? His best friend was Brian. Number three, what did Tom spill? He spilled some water. Number four, how did the teacher make Tom clean up the mess? She made him use his sweater to mop it up off the floor or to wipe it from the floor. Number five, how long ago did Tom take this class? It was 25 years ago, but he still remembers it. 
Okay, how did you do? Do you know any good tongue twisters? I'm sure you know what a tongue twister is, one of those uh, phrases or sentences that is very hard to say because when you try to say it, your tongue gets all twisted up and you can't say the words properly. Sometimes things that are hard for speakers of one language to say turn out to be not so hard for speakers of other languages to say. I think uh, depending on what language we speak, different sounds are easier or harder for us to make, or different combinations of sounds are easier or harder to make. Well, here are two of my favorite English tongue twisters. The first one, I think, is so good because it's so simple. It's just two words. Toy boat. Now, it's easy to say it slowly, but if you try and say it quickly, well, if I try to say it quickly, I can't do it. Toy boat, toy boat, toy boat, toy boat, I can't do it. Can you do it? Can you say toy boat many times quickly? My other favorite is a big black bug's blue blood. A big black bug's blue blood. A big black bug's blue a big black bug's blue blood, a big black bug's blue blood. Well, I did it a little bit. Can you say that one? A big black bug's blue blood. Do you have a favorite tongue twister? Are there any good tongue twisters from your native language? Uh, Make an audio file of yourself saying your favorite tongue twister or trying to say it and send it to me at everybodyesl at gmail.com. For today's grammar topic, I wanted to teach you how to agree with positive statements and with negative statements. For the purposes of this topic, a negative statement is any sentence that has no, not, never, or neither. If it has no, not, never, or neither, we will call it a negative statement. An example of this might be, I have never eaten French food. I have never eaten French food. Or, I never play tennis. Or, I don't like scary movies. Well, that one doesn't quite have a not in it. It has an nt, a contracted form of do not. We had don't. That still counts as a negative statement. The way you agree with a negative statement, the standard way, the informal conversational way, that's what we're going to talk about today. The way you agree with a negative statement in an informal way is by saying, me neither. Me neither. I have never tried French food. Oh, me neither. So the same is true for me. Yes, I agree. I'm, I have the same experience or the same opinion. I have never played tennis. Oh, me neither. I don't like scary movies. Me neither. So anytime you want to agree 
with a negative sentence, a sentence that has no, not, never, or neither, you can say, me neither. The way you agree with a positive sentence, which is any other kind of sentence, is by saying, me too. Now remember, this is conversational and informal. You wouldn't say it like this in writing, and you wouldn't say it like this in a formal situation. But for most situations, most casual conversational situations, this is fine. To agree with a positive statement, you say, me too. Oh, I eat French food all the time. Me too. In other words, I too eat French food all the time. I love scary movies. Me too. I play tennis all the time. Me too. I also play tennis all the time. Now, there's one thing I want to point out. Remember the way I described a negative statement. It was a statement that had no, not, never, or neither. It is not about whether the words sound or feel negative. So look at this sentence. I hate scary movies. Well, that sounds negative. You're talking about hating something. That sounds like a negative thing. But in terms of the grammar of the sentence, we're not going to call it a negative sentence, a negative statement. So if somebody says, I hate scary movies, and you also hate scary movies, the correct way to agree with it is, me too, not me neither, because it's not what we're calling a negative statement. And this is true even if someone uses a, another kind of word that looks even more negative, like dislike. I dislike scary movies. Well, that's not technically what we're calling a negative statement, even though it uses a negative-sounding word. So if someone says, I dislike scary movies, and you dislike scary movies too, the way you would agree with them or echo their, their opinion is, me too. I dislike scary movies. Me too. I hate scary movies. Me too. I don't like scary movies. Ooh, how would you agree with that one? I don't like scary movies. Do you remember what that is again? Me neither. Because that is a negative statement. It has not in it, or nt, the contracted form of do not, don't. So that's the basic way to agree with negative and positive statements, at least in an informal, casual way. And that's the end of episode four of Everybody ESL. If you have anything you'd like to share with me, any thoughts about the show or any thoughts about your experience learning English, please send it to me at everybodyesl at gmail.com. You can even record yourself and send me an audio file of yourself asking the question or speaking English so everybody can hear your accent and see how well you're doing. Just make sure to send me your name, where you're from, and what your native language is. Until the next episode, keep going, keep practicing, and keep learning. Goodbye, and I'll see you soon.